0: Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Today on CityCast DC. As a recall campaign gets going against a top police reformer, the DC Council is on its way to passing a tough crime bill. Plus, the mayor really wants a football stadium, and we've got a bunch of Black History Month recommendations. Today is Friday, February 9th. I'm Michael Schaefer, and here's what DC is talking about. I'm here with my CityCast colleagues, Julia Karen and Kayla Cote Stemmerman. Hey, guys. Hey, Mike.
1: Good morning.
0: Um, so I want to start off, uh, as we have had to do too dang often, <laughs> with crime in D.C. I'm I'm sort of interested in the way it kind of torques up the mindset of a mm-hmm. city, a community. I, I wrote my political column this week about the recall effort against Charles Allen, who's a member of D.C. Council, represents mm-hmm. Ward Six, which is like Capitol Hill, and is kind of the the guy. He's actually. Doesn't even chair the council's uh, judiciary committee anymore, but he he did, and he was the one kind of most associated with some of the reforms that followed 2020 and George Floyd. Got it. And the ground has kind of shifted. You know, there there was a lot of people marching in the street demanding those reforms. Now we're in a moment when DC's crime stats are actually really bad, like the worst murder rate in 25 years, really insane carjacking numbers, other a bit big cities seem to have their kind of post covid crime spike seem to be pulling back dc's uh, have not and um a group of people most of them not really you know long time involved in local politics a lot of them sort of moved here as many people do for to work in national politics decided that they're going to recall uh, charles allen even he he ran unopposed <laughs> just 2 years ago for re-election
2: yeah so so how does How does a recall effort like work? Is it like you have to sign a bunch of paperwork and like rally people? Like what happens?
0: Well, Julia, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what what they got to do is, uh, I mean, one, this recall campaign set up, you know, set itself up legally. Um, it, It just so happened they started raising money in the middle of January, which is convenient for reporters because January 31st is one of the two filing dates for campaign finance paperwork in D.C. And they raised it ton of money like where's the
1: money coming from like
0: would you are they asking like people like me for money or yes, is they're it asking, they're asking okay. people like you for money and almost everyone or you know a great majority of the donors are dc residents so most of them board six residents the names i recognized on there and some of the folks i've spoken to are again they're people who are like have moved here well not around the same time as charles allen actually but and for similar reason to work in government and politics most of them People who worked in democratic politics, and in some ways, it feels like a family fight within the Democrats, uh, which is a, a familiar one to people mm-hmm. who watch the DC Council. Which is, there's a kind of left wing progressive block against a more centrist group. Uh, the people raising money are more centrist Democrats. They've got the sort of you know standard, you know, Allen is it's taking advice from woke activists instead of his constituents who are worried about crime and has poo pooed people's concerns. Like that's their. Uh, bill of complaints, he obviously doesn't uh, agree with that, mm-hmm. but um, it is, you know, that's a lot of money in DC.
2: How much money is a lot?
0: 56,000 raised Woo! in a couple of weeks. Now that, and, and, and the, the, here the dates matter because okay. that's through January 31st, although the, we only got, got the, we only got the numbers a couple of days ago. Um, but after that, there was, you know, which we talked about on the news roundup last week, this horrible carjacking rampage mm-hmm. in DC. One of the victims, who since died, was a guy who had worked in—he'd been in the Trump administration, but he'd also been sort of in local politics as a board of election member. He's a very Mike Gill, widely loved person. And according to the recall people, this happened after January 31st, but they've raised a ton more money. It didn't show up in their filing mm. because this is sort of added. Whether it's right or wrong statistically, it's added to the sense of crisis and panic, and people who are in a mode of panic start attributing big effects to it, like a single person. And you know, he's, Charles Allen's become kind of the, the pinata of of uh, of anti crime.
2: Yeah. So I know that this is coming at a time, obviously, when D.C. is trying to pass this huge omnibus crime bill. A lot of people who are against right. it have called it the crimnibus. Like, <laughs> do, I I know.
0: Right. So so this this measure. Uh, brings back some kind of 90s era right. anti-crime techniques it adds some new criminal penalties it's thought of as a quote unquote tough on crime measure there's critics who say this is just about the council belatedly trying to get on the right side of the a public that's increasingly anxious about this so they want to create the impression of doing something even if it's not clear that like having drug-free zones we, I know we've talked about in the past right. that that'll actually make a whole lot of day-to-day impact so that passed with no no votes so one member of the council voted present, but it. otherwise 12 uh yay votes including uh charles allen
2: i was gonna ask like was charles allen on board with the omnibus thing if, if he's you know
0: all of them will give examples of things in the bill that they're not in favor of Got um, but they're sort of patting themselves on the back for they you know look at us uh, making compromises in the name of getting something done. I think what's what's happening here is that that you know we have had this sort of sea change in mindset. So I don't know about you guys, but just you know over the around the water cooler and and so on, people are talk about their fear, talk about crime in a way that they used to talk about like, oh my god, can you believe how expensive rents have gotten?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And you know I think that has a that has a big effect on a place. Um, and uh, so many people's expectations of moving here. Some of the decisions they made were keyed to thinking like, this is going to be a city where crime's not really that big a deal. So if you look at like the, around the stadium, Navy yard, all sure. those, it didn't, none of those apartments used to exist, right? But But now there's block after block, thousands of new residents. And a lot of those folks, you know, rented places or bought places there thinking, oh, I'll just be able to walk to and fro to my job on the Hill. But when you suddenly are afraid of walking to and fro, all of a sudden, all these other decisions you've made, the decisions that like really do anchor the city's revitalization become iffy. And that's like a pretty scary point for the city. And I, you know, at a certain point, if you argue, well, actually the chances of you getting jumped on your way are pretty low, like you sound out of touch, right. um, like trying to argue stats is, is sort of foolish. What, what I, I think uh, a lot of people want to hear is a kind of empathy. Um, and uh, sometimes that leads to not that great public policy. you know
1: so what is what does Charles Allen himself have to say about this recall effort? you know, like what is yeah. his defense been?
0: I mean, his defense is, look, I'm you know, I am working my tail off for the constituents and I am you know, I'm out there every day on the when I interviewed him, he was late to the call because he had been buttonholed by people on the playground while dropping kids off at school who had like constituent concerns. and the reform, stuff that he was so associated with was responding to constituents and that's sort of where he's at and that the folks who call him out of touch are themselves maybe not that deeply involved in city politics but so therefore not not maybe great judges of whether he's out of touch or not he also tends to sort of dismiss you know the, the people have, there's tweets of his where he's like talking about this is the biggest budget cut in police history and, and like these things positive right about bringing down the number of police officers he does a sort of, well, that's for well, those are four-year-old tweets. I'm interested in solutions, which is a way of pivoting away from unfavorable data points. But that's what, basically his thing is, look, I've, I'm a councilman pothole, just like anyone else. And I'm, I'm here for my constituents. And I got reelected without any opposition in a Democratic right. primary and a general election. <laughs> not that long ago. Not that long ago. So where were you guys uh, if you claim to care so much about the city? That's, that's his response. I don't know if that's like a particularly effective response or if people will find it effective. Um, but I guess we'll we'll all find out because what has to happen now after after they've we, we digress from that is next week they meet with the Board of Elections, they have to come up with sort of language that would literally appear on the recall measure on the ballot, and he would have a response language. When that language is approved, they then get petitions and they have to uh, go out and gather petitions equivalent to I think 10% of the voters in the ward. I'm not sure whether it's 10% of the voters or 10% of the last voted. I think it's voters. But it's a fairly ambitious number. So then they'll have to go and do whatever you do to circulate petitions. If they get enough, it will then go on the ballot, uh, probably in a special election. And then they'll have to win the election or either side will have to win the election. You know, Alan is not without friends. So there'll be, I'm sure, money being raised and effort being put into uh, fighting the uh, the recall too. <laughs> It's time to get dressed up, DC. So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree. That's to help raise funds for homelessness in DC. The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow. There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sums Food Pantry. Grab tickets before they're gone at org slash springsoiree. That's S-O-M-E dot O-R-G slash springsoiree. See you there.
3: When was the last time you went to the theater? Well, we have a new show for you to check out.
0: So the, the other big thing we've been talking about a lot, but that is making news again this week, is the quest for a new football stadium. What happened this week, Julia?
2: All right. So our boy Junaid, Dill from Axios has the scoop. The House Natural Resources Committee, which is basically this group that deals with like wildlife and like mining policy, like not stadium things, uh, approved a bipartisan bill on Tuesday that lets the National Park Service go into a 99 year lease with DC which would allow the development of a stadium in the district. So Mayor Bowser is slowly but surely like getting the thing she wants, which is the potential to have RFK once again become the home of the of the Commanders.
0: So the knock on a stadium. Yes. as as voiced by people like me, uh, has been look, the city's got a real housing crunch. Um there's not that much open space in the city. Nothing against football, but it would be way cooler to use uh, the RFK to build, you know, a bunch of housing that would effectively like increase the supply and bring down the prices of housing in DC. But for people who who push back on me say, you know, you don't understand what's happened with sports stadiums. It's not like what RFK is, which is sort of a single-use football stadium surrounded by a bunch of parking lots. In the the the, the fantasy version of football owners and uh, local stadium admirers, what are they talking about building?
2: So. I think when people think about stadiums, obviously, like, they think about there's this one big thing. It's a sea of parking lots. And and I think they think of Landover, right, which is, like, huge stadium, sea of parking lots, like, some shops and stuff kind of around, but really a whole lot of nothing except for roads to get to the stadium. They feed them. What a lot of owners are doing now, uh, and it's the thing that Ted Leontis is interested in, uh, trying to move the caps and whiz, Is if you move the team a little bit further out to the suburbs, your goal is to kind of create like a mini city around the stadium. So it's not just the stadium that is like there and then like all roads, you know, lead to the stadium and there's nothing else around it. It's like there's actual shops, there's dining, there's housing, there's hotels. That is really what owners want. They want to create a city outside of the city.
0: So if they did this at the RFK site, it would turn that neighborhood into a destination, not just for football games, but it'd be like the war for like National Harbor or something. be a whole
1: new neighborhood.
2: Right. Like, I think the model that they're looking at is like the Navy Yard, obviously, which is like for all intents and purposes was a huge success, right? They have a, had a bunch of new apartment buildings go up. The population density has gone up. The Audi field has brought even more people. There's like real shops and restaurants. There's hotels. Booz Allen Hamilton has one of their downtown offices there. Like the their whole point is, okay, this isn't just like, only for the sports thing, the entire neighborhood benefits and we get to create one. So like some examples of this, uh, I don't know if you guys know who the New England Patriots are. I know, Kayla, you're not. <laughs> I do know who the Patriots are. You're Boston, okay? I at least know who they are. <laughs> right. But so, so, so then you know that their stadium, Gillette Stadium, is actually out in Foxborough. Massachusetts. It's not in Boston, in central Boston, like TD. I only know
1: that because I saw Kesha there, but yes, I do know.
2: (laughs) Right. But so, so how long did it take you to go see Kesha from Boston? What was the drive like?
1: I don't know. It's quite, it's quite a haul actually. Right.
2: 30, 40 minutes maybe. Right. So what Bob Kraft did is take the team, move it to Foxborough and he could kind of build a whole thing around it. Right. Like there's now like apartment buildings there. There's more shopping. There's all this extra stuff. And it's not in downtown core Boston. It's 45 minutes removed. The same thing happened with uh, the San Francisco 49ers at Levi's Stadium, right? Like they, if you look at the actual stadium itself, it's in Santa Clara. It's closer to San Jose than San Francisco to be the San Jose 49ers, right?
0: Right. But so this raises an interesting question because like, you know, RFK is not the suburbs. If you have a plot of land forty-five minutes away from a city, you want to do anything you can do to put yourself on the map, mm-hmm. um, so that the land becomes more valuable and you can sell it to hotels and everything. Yes, but this is right on Capitol Hill, right at the edge of Capitol Hill. I guess the way they're looking at it is right now and there's no particular reason to go there unless you live there, and they would like to turn it into a, a destination area, which I guess is is a thing you can do as much in within the city limits as in the suburbs. But I guess that's the idea is like we we basically treat RFK like a suburb which we need to put a bunch of investment into to put it on the map and then that will create a virtuous cycle of development.
2: Right. I think the the question here is do you consider that RFK area, that stadium armory area, the quote unquote suburbs? of DC. Like is there stuff that you could actually like build around the stadium in addition to just having it be like the stadium is here or at least like the decrepit corpse of RFK is here and they need to rebuild it back up. Um one thing that I think is kind of interesting right is we saw this sort of like fail and die in Chinatown.
0: Right, so that in the in the age of COVID, even having a, you know, basketball and hockey team playing is not enough to keep a neighborhood vibrant. Mhm. Not far from the arena. Where the Wizards and Caps currently play, uh, there's plenty of sort of storefronts that are no longer occupied and so on because retail patterns have changed because Mm -hmm. people don't come downtown for work anymore for all kinds of reasons. So, what's to say it would work, you know, whether it's at the RFK site or, you know, Leesburg or something?
1: Sure. Even as a not sports fan, like I don't hate the idea of having new like shops and things to do in that area. I think that could be positive. Maybe I don't know enough about the situation yet, but also like I was, you know, yesterday they came out with a report that said the Metro stop there, the Potomac Yard Metro stop would have to go undergo like massive, massive renovations, like $70 million in renovations in order to even be able to handle the capacity that something like this would bring. Like you would have to wait for hours after a game, for example, now.
3: Hey DC, one of the reasons hosting this show is so important to me is this statistic from the U.S. Surgeon General. Ready for it? The percentage of Americans who report feeling very attached to their community is only 16%. Now, there's a lot of ways to look at that number, which, by the way, is pre-pandemic data. But here's how I'm thinking about it. CityCast DC is something that we're building to make it easier for you to feel attached to this community. I don't want anyone to feel lonely or bored here in DC. I want you to know how you can help make this city more fun and more livable, and where all the good local stuff is at. And if you think we're doing a good job, I'm asking if you'll become a member of CityCast DC today at membership.citycast.fm. You'll get exclusive perks like ad-free listening, event invites, and members-only guides. But most of all, you'll be part of a project dedicated to making the number of DC residents who feel attached to this community a heck of a lot higher than 16%. See you over at membership.citycast.fm. And thank you.
0: All right, so it's February. It's Black History Month. And Kayla, our newsletter editor, who day after day fills it with really cool recommendations, has been compiling a pretty extensive list of things you can do to mark the month or enrich your brain uh, or otherwise uh, embrace Black History in D.C. What do you got?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So if you actually go on our site, we have this massive article that goes through all sorts of things that you can do, no matter who you are, that are going to be fun and enriching. I'll just sort of go through a couple from each category to sort of, you know, wet your whistle, see if you guys want to go to any of them. First one is obviously near and dear to my heart. It's, you know, going to black owned bars and restaurants around the city of which there are endless amounts. Yeah. Um, I sort of cherry picked a few of my favorites. Kane on H Street is we've actually been to as a team and is like, oh yeah, unbelievably good. Like the best comfort food of your life. Very good. Um, it's sort of like a modern Caribbean restaurant. Um, St. James is its sort of partner restaurant up on 14th Street. Both excellent. think sort of chicken and curry is burnt like pork ends, that kind of thing. Hill Prince Bar is one that not a lot of people have heard of. Um, I've only been there once. This is also on H Street, sort of sticking with the area. But it's a carriage house, um, sort of in a, like, it's a very unique architectural bar. But they keep their cocktails like really classic and affordable. um, And they have these amazing happy hours that run like during the weekend. Oh, and then my favorite breakfast spot is Heat the spot um, in Parkview. Have you guys been there? No. You haven't been to heat the spot? Oh my God. We should go. <laughs>
2: I know. We, we should go. Okay. so So food and drinks are like obviously great. I find that it's kind of a time in terms of reflection, right? To like go and see or learn more about
1: like history generally. Absolutely. I think a great thing to do is going to art galleries around the city that all have a lot of great exhibitions this month going on to honor Black History Month. One of the ones I really recommend checking out is the Simone Leigh exhibit at the Hirshhorn. It's going to be leaving on March 3rd. So this is really your last chance to see it.
0: Tell us who Simone Leigh is for... For art ignoramuses.
1: Yeah, she's like a Chicago-born artist, and she does these like massive bronze sculptures. Like one is outside the Hirschhorn right now. She explores sort of the experience of Black women across, you know, America, across the diaspora, um, and especially like women working. Um, That's her whole thing. And she uses these organic materials to make these massive sculptural people. The other gallery that I love um, is actually in Petworth. It's not really a museum, it's just an art gallery. It's called Art of Noise Gallery. They- show a different sort of local Black artist. I think it's, you know, every month, every couple months. Uh, and they have these great community events. They have these like art gallery openings. The current exhibition is called F is for February. And it has two um, local artists, Buck Herring and Alonzo Robles Gordon. And I haven't been to this exhibit yet, but I have been to the gallery itself. And it's just, it's, it's lovely. It's on, you know, Upshur Street. You can see it in, you know, twenty minutes. Um, oftentimes they'll have the artists themselves come in for talks, and you can meet them, uh, and they'll talk about their work, and you can really understand it on a level that I think you don't really get the chance to at these larger museums. Uh, but yeah, I would definitely check that out. There's also um, lots of great, you know, black owned businesses. Ideas for you to shop uh, for Valentine's Day, for anything else for yourself on here. We have book clubs that you can join. DC has a great, amazing array of book clubs, and a lot of them focus on racial issues and the diaspora. And you know, there's a like a love in color book club, which is just the cutest thing I've ever seen. Uh, And yeah, we actually have an interactive map with all of this on it. So you can like check out exactly where in the city these things are. So you can find out what's close to you, what's close to where you're going. And I uh, I hope you check it out.
0: Also, you can, instead of taking our word for it, uh, you can go explore yourself. The city has launched this pretty cool interactive map that's got 300 different historical sites around town that you can visit for Black History Month. Um, there's a lot of weird, surprising things on there. You can do it at your own pace.
2: We also have a ton of highlighted events in our February guide with Jade Womack of Clockout DC. Check our show notes for that. She also has a ton of great recommendations. So there's no shortage of things to do. Yeah, so
1: many things to do. Get out there.
0: Kayla, Julia, thank you guys for being here.
1: Thanks, Mike. Thank
2: you.
0: And that is all for today here on CityCast DC. Our senior executive producer is Priyanka Tilvey. Our senior producer is Julia Karen. Our newsletter editor is Kayla Cote-Stemmerman. Our production assistant is Ash Durbin. And our hosts are Bridget Todd and me, Michael Schaefer from Politico. Music is by Alex Roldan. If you enjoyed the show, why not circulate your own petitions saying how awesome we are? We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Bye.